Hello, welcome to part two of my Midnight Hunt review for Cube. Today we're looking at cards that I'm adding to my lower powered environment. Welcome to Cultic Cube, where we cube religiously. We make you better at cube, and make your cube better. We're discussing Petty Nobility, which is my 450 card master's power level cube environment. It's designed to be a highly synergy-driven, micro-archetype-focused environment. There's no true aggro. There are no AB combos that can kill somebody before they can blink. The quality of control decks is hampered by a lack of sweepers. Counter magic removal tends to be more expensive than it could be. This is an environment that goes in for mid-range decks and has many different kinds of combos for people to play with. And the whole point of the environment is we want to allow Johnny and Jennies to assemble cool engines and go off. There are no planeswalkers at all in the environment. The environment actually resembles a prototypical peasant cube in many ways. However, it's not rarity restricted, so there are rares and mythics. So let's dive into some of the cards that I'm looking at. Uh, we'll go in Wooburg order. I won't go over all of the micro-archetypes that are supported in the cube at this juncture, but you'll get a sense of these as we chat about some of the cards that we're adding, I think. Okay, let's begin with white, which has the largest number of cards that we're adding from any single color. So we'll kick things off with Blessed Defiance. This is a common for a single white mana pip. It's an instant, and it reads, Target creature you control gets plus two, plus O, oh, and gains lifelink until the end of turn. When that creature dies this turn, create a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying. So here's a funny little combat trick that allows you to turn any creature into a doom traveler and get a spirit upon the occasion of its sad demise. This card's a little iffy, I'm fully willing to grant. It's a combat trick, which I don't put a huge premium on combat tricks in this cube, but I don't mind having a few. And this one has the virtue of being quite inexpensive at a single mana pip. And it does a number of things that are kind of nice in the cube. So uh, it interacts with life gain, which is a thing, since it gives your creature lifelink. And it also allows you to get a token, which is also a thing. I want to give it a whirl. I don't know that this card is going to stick in here forever. I mean, honestly, it probably won't, but I kind of want to try it out. It reminds me a little bit of Fane Death, which we added in the Adventures of the Forgotten Realms update a few months back. Fane Death is a single black mana pip for an instant that reads, until end of turn, target creature gains. Whenever this creature dies, return it to the battlefield tapped under its owner's control with a plus one, plus one counter on it. So Fane Death is better. You get your creature back, which is probably more useful than getting a spirit token a lot of the time. The spirit tokens can be useful, and the lifelink is good in racing situations or in staving off aggro and so on. But really, most importantly, the life gain turns on a whole bunch of life gain shenanigans that your deck could be doing. So this is kind of a cute little combat trick. We're going to try it, see if the package adds up to something that people are enticed to run in many of their main decks. Next up, we have Cathar Commando. This is a common for one in a white. It's a creature, human soldier, three power, one toughness. It has flash and it has an activated ability. Pay one generic mana and sacrifice Cathar Commando. Destroy target artifact or enchantment. This card is quietly a nice little package. And I want to give a shout out here to Cool Kid, who commented on 
our Midnight Review Part 1 video on YouTube, uh, who reminded me of this card. Cool Kid was surprised that I had neglected to mention the card in that review. So thank you for that, Cool Kid. I did totally miss out on talking about this card. I think that this card could well have legs in much higher power environments. I think it can find a home in a lot of different places. It's a card that looks a little like a Kasali Pride Mage in that it's it's a creature that can sacrifice itself in order to destroy an artifact or enchantment. That's nice, but this is easier to cast since it's in a single color. And it can serve as a combat trick, as a surprise blocker. You can flash in a three damage blocker for just two mana. Or it can serve as a surprise attacker if you flash this in on the opponent's end step. Then you'll have this other creature that has the ability to attack on your turn that the opponent may not have accounted for. It's a fine aggressive body. It's a huge upgrade to Blade of the Sixth Pride, right? Which is one in a white for a 3-1 Cat Rebel with no text on it. So this is a neat little card that I think you could well run at higher power levels and have it be a fine supporting card in a white weenie strategy and a good way of dealing with problematic artifacts or enchantments. And I think it is a card that's perfectly appropriate here as well and won't be too imbalancing, too overpowered here. All right, next up we have Loyal Griff. This is two and a white for a 2-2 creature Hippogriff. It's an uncommon. It has flash, flying, and when Loyal Griff enters the battlefield, you may return another creature you control to its owner's hand. So this is kind of a neat card. It's a little bit like Core Skyfisher and White Mane Lion got together and had a sweet little baby Griff. And in this environment, I'm running both of the aforementioned cards. It's important that you needn't necessarily return a creature you control to its owner's hand, unlike White Mane Lion or Core Skyfisher, although Skyfisher you can return any permanent uh, you control to, to your hand. But then also cost three instead of two. This card's maybe a little bit marginal. I don't know that we're getting super, super excited about the card. A Windrake doesn't seem amazing, of course, um, but it can do this restoration angel sort of trick where it helps to save your creature that's in trouble. I don't actually run Restoration Angel in this environment because I think that card is too powerful in this environment. But I would like something that's like Restoration Angel, but just with the knobs turned slightly down. So I'd like to see if this is the card because the deck does support a blink archetype where Restoration Angel is of course an all-star. Loyal Griff, not quite the same thing since it returns to hand instead of blinking. So you have to replay the card to get the ETB, but it's a card worth trying to help support that archetype, I think. Final white card is Lunark Veteran. Lunark Veteran is a common for a single white mana pip. It's a creature, a human cleric, who's a 1-1. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life. Now, it has Disturb for one and a white. So if this card dies or it goes to your graveyard somehow, you can cast it from your graveyard for its disturbed cost of one and a white, and it will enter the battlefield on its backside. The backside is Luminous Phantom. It's a creature spirit cleric. It's a 1-1. It has flying, and whenever another creature you control leaves the battlefield, you gain one life. And if Luminous Phantom would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. So when this card was spoiled, I saw a lot of hype about it. People were calling it the second coming of the of the Soul Sisters, like Soul Warden. 
Notice that Lunark Veteran, the front face of the card, is not in fact Soul Warden. This card only triggers and gives you the one life gain when creatures enter the battlefield under your control, whereas with Soul Warden, it's any creature entering the, entering the battlefield gives you the trigger. Uh, but this is still a fine card, I think, to support the life gain deck. And on the backside, it gains you life too in a way that can interact nicely with aristocrat strategies. And you could very well be doing a life gain slash aristocrats deck. That's totally possible in this environment. And I like that this is a card that supports both. And it's also a card that's a built-in two for one. It's another card that looks a lot like a doomed traveler, I suppose, in certain ways. Speaking of that fellow we mentioned earlier. Okay, let's move along. Let's talk blue cards. Now, the two blue cards I'm about to mention are cards that we talked about in part one of our set review. These are both cards that I added to Alaysis. So the first is Consider. It's a common. It's an instant for just a single blue mana pip. Look at the top card of your library. You may put that card into your graveyard. Draw a card. So here is Surveil Opt. This card is great. As we talked about before, Surveil is better than Scrying on average. And thanks to this set, we're getting still more cards that have flashback or disturb like we just talked about. So there's incidental ways in which filling your graveyard may prove beneficial to you, such that your graveyard can serve as an extended resource pool. And in other formats, it could be any, it could be even better if we've got reanimator strategies, of course, or snapcaster mages and so on, which aren't here in this lower powered environment. Anyway, this is a fine card. It's a cantrip. I love cantrips, as you know. I love inexpensive cantrips anyway. Consider it as a good one. Okay, next. Memory Deluge. Two blue blue for an instant. It's a rare. Look at the top X cards of your library, where X is the amount of mana spent to cast this spell. Put two of them into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. And then it has flashback for five blue blue for seven mana. So the base rate is... You pay four mana, you get to look at the top four cards of your library, and you get to select the two best ones. That's sweet. Uh, you bottom the rest. You can flash it back for seven, which is a ton of mana. But when it happens, you get to look at seven cards and pick the best two. So I think this card's great. I think it compares favorably to Factor Fiction, and in fact, bests Factor Fiction in many ways. And I think it's a great card for this particular environment. I'm testing this card in Alaysis. I think it's a little slow in Alaysis, honestly. I mean, I don't like Factor Fiction there. But in this environment, I think it's perfectly fine. And you probably do have time to find a place where you can spend four mana and draw a couple of great cards. This is a card I've been playing with some in my testing, and I've been thoroughly enjoying it. You know, it's a, it's a spell that's fun to resolve, as is Factor Fiction, I suppose. Guess let's pause here and give you all a few updates. It's been a while since part one of this video. Apologies for the long delay. This has given me a chance to play with some of the cards, which is exciting, so I can talk about some of my experiences with them. Also, I've been working on a bunch of other projects. As I mentioned last time, I've got that Etsy store open whereon I'm selling cultic bestiary tokens. So these are custom designed and produced tokens that draw on medieval illuminated manuscripts for their inspiration. So I'm compiling a vast bestiary that looks as if it's penned by monks, but is meant for play on the magic table. So recently I've created a whole series of tokens for Midnight Hunt. So if you're inclined to check that out, go to culticcube.etsy.com. I also started a little Twitter project. I made a bot, you guys. I made a Twitter bot. 
Um, its name is FlavorBot1, <laughs> FlavorBot and then the number one. Well, it's actually two bots in one. So the first is an AI chat bot that I trained on all of the flavor text and all of the history of magic. And then this bot generates its own flavor text, which I think is hilarious. And then I've got another AI bot that uses real magic card art as seed art. And then this bot iterates on the art using verbal cues from the flavor text that its partner bot generated. And it comes up with these wild dreams of what art might look like in some insane alternate reality for this crazy flavor text. Anyway, if you're on Twitter, check out at FlavorBot1 and get fake flavor text daily on your Twitter feed. And then, as you all probably know, I've got a Patreon page. I love my patrons. You all are the best. Thanks to those of you who are supporting the show there. You can also support the show by using any of my affiliate links. I've got an affiliate relationship with TCG Player, with Inked Gaming, and with Amazon. Thank you all so much for your support. Okay, next up, we've got Black. So here's a rare named Jadar, Ghoul Caller of Nephalia. This is a legendary creature human wizard who costs one and a black for a 1-1. At the beginning of your end step, if you control no creatures with Decayed, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token with Decayed. I'm sure you all noticed the similarity between this card and cube fan favorite Ophiomancer. Gosh, Ophiomancer is such a good card. Ophiomancer costs two and a black to get a 2-2 human shaman. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if you control no snakes, put a 1-1 black snake creature with death touch onto the battlefield. This thing's pretty similar, except it costs two instead of three. It's a 1-1 that gives you a 2-2 instead of a 2-2 that gives you a 1-1. And this thing's 2-2 looks a little wonky because it's got decayed, which means that the thing can't block and after it attacks, you sacrifice it. I don't love Decayed for Cube, but in this instance, I think it's quite good. So I like this guy better than Ophiomancer for this particular environment. And the reason is, well, there's a number of reasons. Reason number one is this thing's cheaper, so that's great. Number two, Ophiomancer produces those death touch snakes, which are amazing blockers. That's great. However, in this particular environment, I don't really want amazing blockers that are just produced ad nauseum. The reason being I don't want to encourage board stalls, which are already a thing that the environment has to contend with, since the environment is designed to let people build up a little bit and do their cool things. So an Ophiomancer can really put the brakes on attacking in a dramatic way. These zombie creature tokens can't block, so they don't put the brakes on opponent attacking in the same way. And these zombie creature tokens reward attacking. If you attack with this thing, I mean, it's going to die anyway, and then you'll get another one. This creature has a sort of built-in odd way of sacrificing creatures and of creating sacrifice fodder. So what I mean to get at is that Aristocrats is a supported micro-archetype in this cube. Aristocrat strategies tend to want to produce fodder for sacrifice and tend to want to sacrifice things. Jadar here does both, produces the stuff to be sacrificed and has a built-in sacrifice mechanism by virtue of decayed or, you know, just gives you tokens that you sacrifice to something else. So this guy's great. I've been playing with Jadar some, and I think he's wonderful. I don't cube Ophiomancer in this environment. As I've explained, I don't think it fits, but Jadar does. 
he fits very well. We've got two two black zombie creature tokens with decayed in the cultic bestiary, you all. FYI. Alright, next up, we're on to red. Cathartic Pyre is our first. This is an uncommon for one and a red. It's an instant. It says choose one. Cathartic Pyre deals three damage to target creature or planeswalker. The second mode is discard up to two cards, then draw that many cards. We talked about this one in the context of Alaisis. Here's something that's kind of like an abrade. It's kind of like a faithless looting. It's kind of like, oof, it's kind of like is it charm, I suppose. This, I mean, I think this card's wonderful. It does it all. I love Syrian spear type cards. This doesn't go to dome, mind you. You can't target players with it, but you can hit planeswalkers. So creature or planeswalker, that's awesome. So you've got this three damage spell for two mana. That's great. That's probably the primary mode, but it's also got this rummaging mode, which can be incredibly useful later in the game if you need to dig for gas or dig for particular components. Next up, play with fire. This is an uncommon, a single red mana pip, an instant. Play with fire deals two damage to any target. If a player is dealt damage this way, scry one. This one I added to Alaisis as well. It, you know, does exactly what it looks like it does. It's a shock. So if you're in it for a shock, here's a shock with a tiny bit of upside. It lets you scry if you send it to face. The next and final red spell is Smoldering Egg. This is a rare for one and a red. It's a creature, dragon egg. It's an 0-4 and it has Defender. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, put a number of ember counters on Smoldering Egg equal to the amount of mana spent to cast that spell. Then if Smoldering Egg has seven or more ember counters on it, remove them and transform Smoldering Egg so on the back side, it is Ashmouth Dragon. It's a creature, a dragon, it's a 4-4 with flying. And it has whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, Ashmouth Dragon deals two damage to any target. Wow, this is a really cool card. So it's a defensive body for a Spells Matters deck. And this kind of deck very often does want a defensive body. It resembles Thing in the Ice. So Thing in the Ice, you may remember from Shadows Over Innistrad. It's a rare for one and a blue for an 0-4 wall. And it enters the battlefield with four ice counters on it. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you remove an ice counter. And then once it's out of ice counters, you flip it. It becomes a Woken Horror, a Kraken Horror. It's a 7-8, and when it flips, you return all non-horror creatures to their owner's hands. This was a cube staple for a long time. I don't know to what extent people still run it these days. I haven't run it in quite a while. I don't think it's good enough in my higher-powered environments. And I don't think it's appropriate in Petty Nobility because I think it's a, I think it's too strong here. That flip that returns all the other creatures to hand and leaves behind the 7-8, boy, is that backbreaking. So I don't like it in Petty Nobility. Now this dragon thing is pretty similar, and it probably flips on a relatively similar timeline. So I have been playing with this card, and I've been thoroughly enjoying it. I can't tell you the average number of turns it takes to flip, but in a dedicated spells deck, casting enough spells to add up to 7 mana value is not going to be insanely difficult, but it's going to take some number of turns, right? I mean, it's going to take you probably 3 turns or 4 turns on average before it flips, so it's probably operating in a similar space for the flip trigger as Thing in the Ice is. And then when you flip it to the back, you get a very good card. You get an air elemental, a 4-4 flyer, and an air elemental that has uh, this gutter snipe text. 
Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, deal two damage, but to any target, so that's sweet. It continues to pay you off for casting spells while smashing face and while presenting a real threat, a real clock, but one that's not as utterly devastating as, you know, the pseudo wrath effect that leaves behind this enormous body. So I like it. I'm excited about this card in testing so far. It seemed like a powerful card and a card that makes you feel good when you get the achievement and get to flip it, but one that doesn't make the opponent feel as if the game is just totally beyond their reach. That's it for red and we've no green, no colorless, uh, one gold card. Here's the one gold card. It looks like kind of a, it looks like kind of a meme, but it's a cute card, I think. All right, so this is Croaking Counterpart. It costs one green blue for a sorcery. It's rare. Create a token that's a copy of target non-frog creature, except it's a one-one green frog, and it has flashback for three green blue. The card costs three mana to cast it for face value, and you can flash it back for five mana. So as you probably know, if you've been following my videos, I am so excited about the direction that watsi has been pushing Simic towards allowing for Simic to capitalize on casting spells in lots of different ways. And in Petty Nobility, I lean hard into allowing for Simic to be a spell slinger's color pair. I think that's awesome. Simic does other things as well in this environment. It can do plus one, plus one counters. It can do tokens. It's good at all those things. But I love Simic Spellslingers. So there are creatures that encourage this. Quandrix Apprentice from Strixhaven is just one of my favorite cards from Strixhaven. I love this card so very much. This guy costs green and a blue for a 2-2 human wizard, and it has magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, look at the top three cards of your library. You may reveal a land card from among them and put that card into your hand and then bottom the rest. This card is so good. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, it draws you a card. That card is always going to be a land, but you're very likely to hit one, right? If you're operating at about 40% lands and you're looking at three cards, you're an odds-on favorite to have a land among those top three. And you do this a few times, and this fellow is thinning your deck in a way that's going to have real impact on your draws as the game progresses. People say the thinning effect of a fetch land is marginal. That's totally true. The thinning effect of three fetch lands, though, is beginning to add up. The thinning effect of four fetch lands. Wow, right? We're getting we're getting there. So if this guy draws you two, three, four, or more lands, that's really doing something. And it's allowing you to continue hitting your land drops. And this guy comes down on turn two potentially, right? So you're getting to do this from relatively early in the game. Guy is great. Of course, blue has a million ways to capitalize on casting spells, but green has some as well. For instance, Dragon's Guard Elite from Strixhaven. It's a rare for one and a green. It's a 2-2 human druid, and it has magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, you put a counter on this thing. And you can spend four green green to double the number of counters on this thing, which is less relevant. But, you know, it grows as you cast spells. So it's like, oh, what's like, what is it, that dryad or something? What am I thinking of? Help me out, you guys. Okay, we got there. Query and Dryad. Feels similar to that, uh, I suppose. And we're getting interesting new instants and sorceries in green. There's no, no reason for me to list a bunch of these. Let me give a shout out though to Pest Infestation real quick. This was from 
Commander 21, which was the Strixhaven set of Commander products. So if you haven't heard of Pest Infestation, go look this card up. It's so good. It belongs in almost any cube, I think. It's a sorcery that costs XX green, destroy up to X target artifacts and or enchantments, create twice X one one black and green pest creature tokens with when this creature dies, you gain one life. Okay, I may have just read you a bunch of confusing text. I did read you a bunch of confusing text. Here's the thing, this you're gonna cast this for three or more because you're gonna pay XX and green, right? So you're gonna wanna pay one, one, green, or you're gonna wanna pay more than that, right? Two, two, green, or whatever. You get to blow up artifacts or enchantments, and then you get to make pests. So for three mana, you get two pests, and you get to blow up one artifact or enchantment. But, but, you guys, it says destroy up to X target artifacts or enchantments. You don't have to target anything, right? You don't have to naturalize anything. You can pay three mana to get two 1-1 one, one pests. You can pay nine mana and get pests and blow up no artifacts or blow up one artifact. Anyway, that's an awesome card. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. It scales all the way through the game. Whenever you draw this card, it's going to be a great card because even if it doesn't have any targets to blow up, you get to make a whole bunch of duders. And you can get huge value out of this card. You can blow up three of their artifacts or enchantments and get a whole grip of duders, and that's super cool. Anyway, Croaking Counterpart. So this card, <laughs> so sorry, back to Croaking Counterpart, the, the card we're actually talking about here. Um, so Croaking Counterpart makes a copy of anything. It doesn't have to be your thing. It can be opponent's thing. The copy that it makes is a 1-1, but it gets all the abilities of whatever it copies. And this is surprisingly useful. I mean, a 1-1, that sounds like it's not very great. But if you have been playing with Nightmare Shepherd, for example, from Theros Beyond Death, Nightmare Shepherd is this demon, costs two black black for a 4-4 four, four flying creature. Whenever another non-token creature you control dies, you may exile it. If you do, create a token that's a copy of that creature, except it's a 1-1, one, one, and it's a nightmare in addition to its other types. This card is so useful. We're cubing this card too. Oh my gosh, this card is great in aristocrat strategies. And even outside of aristocrat strategies, it's this air elemental that costs just four mana with this random additional upside thing that maybe you're not controlling as well if you're not an aristocrats, but that is still going to be valuable to you. We're playing cube. We don't have many vanilla creatures in cube, and particularly in this environment where we don't have all of the parasitic cards necessary to make red aggro or white aggro tick. Um, there's no like savanna lions. that's just a vanilla 2-1 that doesn't exist here. Everything does something getting that value back again, even if it's attached to a 1-1, one, one, is just, it's going to be great. So copying their best thing, copying your best thing, even if it's a 1-1, one, one, you're gonna find something to copy that's going to be super cool. And here's a card with flashback, you can do it all over again, that's great. Oh, also another plug for the Cultic Bestiary. I've got such a good version of a 1-1 green frog. You should definitely check it out. I found a medieval illustration for an Aesop's fable about a frog king who's offered a ride by a snake. But in order to repay the snake for the ride, the frog king has to offer up one of his subjects for sacrifice for the snake's consumption every day. 
It's an absurd and charming image of a slightly frightened looking frog feeling as if he's riding majestically on the back of this snake. Okay, well, that's it. Thanks so much for hanging out, you all. I have so much fun chatting cube with you cats. So let's keep hanging out and chatting cube.